risking hair and skin. Get where behind and never mind. We'll fight and fight and win for we're from Tigerland. We never weep until the final siren. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the fifth edition of Tiger Tragics. And finally, guys, this week we get to talk about a win. Yeah. The curse is over. Oh, gee whiz, I tell yeah. you what, it was the most nerve-wracking win I've had for a long time. I, I seriously, I'm sitting in a pub in Phillip Island because I was down there doing the Shannon's Nationals on the weekend, so I didn't even get to see Dreamtime live, which is a shame, but anyway, that's work. I'm sitting in a pub at Phillip Island with, uh, the whole pub was watching the game, especially the last few minutes, and I'm thinking to myself, right up until 40 seconds to go, we could still lose this. Yeah. They could kick a goal, we give away a free kick, after the goal, they get a second kick. It goes back to the centre. They'll kick another goal. They'll get three goals in 40 minutes. And I just fed it and will not show my face anywhere ever again. Well, we managed to do that against the Gold Coast a few years ago. And I suppose that's that's the feeling that everyone's been left with after the last few weeks. But we finally got on the board. Yep. Tony Shebeki, hello. Mitchell Scott, hello. I'm, I'm very well. And Carl, how are you? Good, Mitchell. How are you? That's why I'm good because That's we good. finally get to talk about a win. And if you've been living under a rock, Richmond recorded its sixth win of the year, about defeating time. Essendon, uh, eighty-one to sixty-six. Really, it was a uh, it was a bit of an arm wrestle for a lot of the part. We probably didn't do ourselves uh, any justice on the scoreboard. Should have won by a lot more when you weigh it up. But uh, really, as you said, Shebex, coming down to that last few minutes. There was still a way that Richmond, <laughs> yeah. we deep down felt we could have lost it, but uh, we persevered. We we pushed through, and we got our sixth uh, sixth win on the board for the year. And um, I think uh, I think for the, the the feel from most people is we're reasonably happy, although we sort of feel like we could have won by more. Do you reckon that's kind of the temperature of everyone at the moment? You know, what I like I like the fact that I read this morning that Paul Ruse says Richmond are playing finals football. So for a guy like Paul Ru- of Paul Ruse's calibre yeah. to actually say that Richmond looks like they're playing pretty damn good football, I'm pretty happy with that. And I, and I think his assessment's spot on. They are playing mm. good football. Even the last few weeks, I mean, once again, let's go through it. We've only lost by a total margin of 10 points in three weeks to teams that are considered to be definite finals chances. Well, we've been very consistent. I think Rowan Connolly writes today in the age that we are, we aside from the Adelaide game, we have been in every game. Oh, and yeah. You look at our losses. Let's go through the ladder. We lost to Adelaide, who were top. We, we, we should have beaten GWS, but who were second. We should have beaten the Bulldogs, who were fourth. We're fifth. We've beaten sixth. We went down by a kick to seventh. Um, and who was our other loss? And we, and we, oh, sorry, and, we, and we've beaten Brisbane. So, look. We we're right in we're we're right now we're fifth on the ladder and that's mm. probably where we actually are which is mm. you know I know it's been a bit doom and gloom the last few weeks but um, we've turned it around we and we obviously beat Essendon on the weekend who were who were eleventh and you know they had been showing some good form as well but we uh we we sort of we we towed them up really in the end but just not on the scoreboard with every other mm. aspect of the game um, we started slow which I think everyone. Based on what I'd said last week, we were we I said we, it's not going to be close either way, which in the end I was wrong about. But in that first ten minutes, Essendon jumped out to a three goal lead, and I thought, oh, here we go, it sapped them, they're gone. But to their credit, they they that's when they switched on, they flicked a gear, Dusty and Koch started getting busy in the back line, and uh, and before you knew it, it was goal for goal, and there were that many lead changes. There probably really shouldn't have been, mm. um, but there were there were that many lead changes, and it was that last quarter we really steadied the ship and and got the four points at the end, and, and we go on and we we now go in six four, which is uh which is what we all thought we'd be about a month ago when we started this podcast. Now, Carl, you and I yes. can take some credit for the win, of course, uh, and. It, I, I don't want this. I don't want to make much of a topic of this, but I have heard that Damien Hardwick played our podcast to the players before the game. Yep. And our prediction of Essendon winning by ten goals 
was enough inspiration for these boys to get over the line. <laughs> yeah, I, I the think The reverse so. psychology that we were talking about last week has worked. It has. It has worked. They've uh, caught so on. So I'm to- never <laughs> ever picking Richmond again this no, year. No, nor am I. That's it. That's it. I'm not picking us for the rest of the year. Don't think we've got a chance against anybody, nor do I think we've got a chance against North Melbourne. They're just going to flog us. Like, we'll, 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 we'll get to that. We'll get to that. It's not um, too hard. I want to. I want to start. We will get to the Jaden Short decision. I know every week there seems to be an umpiring oh, decision. We'll goodness. get to that shortly. But first, I just wanted to talk about our uh, our poor goal kicking in front of goal is probably the one thing that oh, we, I look at that we yeah. need to address. We kicked eleven. You know the great thing about that is is that the best place to do goal kicking is in front of goal. Yeah, well, that mo- that would make sense. Not, mm. in, not, not. Uh, do you know some clubs actually have goal kicking training inside? <laughs> do they really? Yeah. Well, Essendon, Collingwood does. Essendon would. Essendon got that massive yeah. eighty meter hanger. Yeah. And I, I don't know how that would go when you simulate. You actually want to simulate outdoor, uh, unless you're playing at Eddie Head, sort of situations and conditions. Would Would you not? Because you're not kicking goals. Yeah, but if it's if it's wall. absolutely pouring down rain, you play the majority of your games at Telstra Dome or at Eddie Head Stadium, whatever yeah. it's called now, Colonial Stadium, whatever it was formerly known the as Docklands Stadium. The Docklands, <laughs> and, we're, and we're back there this year, this, this week actually against North. But like uh, Jack Rewalt and Josh Caddy were probably the two in particular who missed, oh. missed sitters, and I'm sure that they'll be. You know, Jack prides himself on his goal kicking, and I think we, we you know, we did we discuss this last week. If you were out of the Richmond team. Who would you be kicking? Who would you be picking to save your life if you had so they had to kick for goal? Lloyd. Yeah, you, 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 you <laughs> no, pick Lloyd. I'd Jack. be picking Jack. Yeah. yeah, and he missed. He missed two sitters thirty out directly in front, and you know one he sprayed wildly, and I think one went into the post, which is so unJack like. Hmm. He missed one the week before as well, and I just wonder if you know there's something playing on his mind there. Josh Caddy was 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 uh, lively up forward, but just couldn't hit the scoreboard until. He pulled one out of his backside in the third quarter to start mm. it from a, from fifty out. And was it a wet ground? It was. It was. It was swirly, but it was. It was wet only in the last quarter, and yeah, that's why okay. I think when I think we we really got on top was because they started making more skill errors than us, and we were clean. We were cleaner with the ball or not. We were quicker than them. We had that much more pressure inside fifty, and we had that many more inside fifty entries. I think it was seventy one, something ridiculous. Which, uh, when you only kick eleven goals from that. That's the disappointing part. We really mm. should have capitalised on that a lot more. But the, the positive sign was that the ball was up our end of the ground a hell of a lot more than it was down there. And to the to, look, Essendon hung in there. Um, and you know what? I wouldn't have been all that disappointed had we lost, if that makes sense, because it genuinely was an arm wrestle on the scoreboard. Maybe not in other factors. I mean, yeah, I would have been disappointed. Of course, but, you would have been. But mm. in, when you compare it to the Fremantle game where you've 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 done the hard work to get back in front and you throw it away with 20 seconds to go. You've done yep. the hard work all yep. game against GWS and then you find a way to throw it away. Throw it away. In this game, if you genuinely the lead changes constantly and then just at the end of the 120 minutes, your team doesn't end up in the front. Well, that's you've 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 had a dip, haven't you? You just haven't, mm. and you can go. We didn't kick straight. And have we have we not. missed something in trade talk or free agency talk? Carl Hooker is he coming to Richmond next year or something? What? Because he was just giving the ball that much <laughs> over to us. He was shocking, wasn't he? Oh goodness me! Um, Thank goodness for it. Yeah, well, he was our he was our twenty third player out there. Really. Well, I, I didn't see him as one of those players that switched jumpers at the end, but. I, Dyson I assumed Hebel, at looked, some point he, he might bad. have put a Richmond jumper on. And especially that mark that he dropped just towards, uh, what, about three or four minutes, two minutes ago. Yeah, maybe. which led to Nankervis yeah. kicking yeah, the winner. Exactly. That was Because yeah. that, if, that, if he marks that, yeah. they get a quick Correct. ball on and go up the other end and probably kick goal. That's where they actually did 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 get us open on the on the counter attack when they went through the corridors. Zaharakis used it a bit, but they still looked pretty slow through there. Yeah. Um, and they gave, you know, I was happy for Joe Danaher to be taking marks at half back for them. Like, the, there's no damage done there. He needs to be kicking it long to himself. Correct. But um, 
let that probably leads us into the Jaden Short decision. Hmm. Every week there seems to be a decision that we have to talk about, and this week, uh, you know, poor Jaden Short, he copped the one the other week with the deliberate out of bounds. This week. Uh, the deliberate rush behind has been a a, a big point of uh, contention. Just for those who haven't seen it, if, oh, well, yeah. Fennick, you've been living under. Yeah, yeah. you probably you're, yeah. if you're listening to this podcast, you, you you've probably, probably seen it. it. You've probably seen it. Short comes in. He's he's chasing a ball with Josh Green. It's on the cusp of halftime. The ball is in the goal square. Short absolutely barrels it. Great pace. Yeah. That's why they like him in that team. Uses the pace to get past Josh Green, who's not who's not slow himself. He's yeah. quite, he's pretty good. Um, he gets to the ball first, and unbeknownst to him, Josh Green, upon entering the goal square with him, decides to you know throw pull the arms out, the contest, out and yeah. pull, pull out of the contest. So Short slides in, slides the ball over the line from about a metre out, and uh, he's pinged for deliberate rush behind. Josh Green kicks a goal, and Essendon go into the halftime break in front. I'd like to know if anyone's actually spoken to Josh Green about the situation. Did he deliberately give up the contest, thinking oh, I'm, it's a point, it's going to be a point, he's got to it, he's rushing it through, there's nothing I could do to change that, so I'll just give it away? I think that, I, I think the, that seems to be the mentality of, of the players when they, get to that, when they get to that point where they, they, they know they're not going to get it. They, the arms go out, I think the arms going out to the giveaway, and he turned to his right where the, where the umpire was coming down, there was also the boundary umpire who, was, who had their eye on it. Um, the thing I don't like about this decision is, and this has been, I think, the same as the Callum Mills one from earlier in the year, is that we are rewarding the player who shirks the contest. And for me, that is not right. It is not within the spirit of football. At the time when I first, when I saw it on Saturday night, my initial instinct was, oh, come on, he's under sufficient pressure. He's in the goal square with him. You watch it on slow-mo replay and you can see the distance and you go, oh, you know, there's probably four and a half metres in it. And if he had slowed down, is it sufficient pressure? I tend to think that if you're in the goal square with them chasing them... Uh, I t- my interpretation is that should be deemed sufficient pressure. The the AFL has apparently ticked off on this one, and if that's the case, so be it. But the issue then for me isn't the decision, it's the rule. We should not be rewarding players who shirk contests and pull out because the you know one of the, the fundamentals of this game is we want players going for the ball, going to lay a tackle. And if we're rewarding someone who goes, you know what, I don't want this one, um, and we penalise the player who do, who who's genuinely... In the foot race, he he had to run past Green to get there. That was the amazing thing. So at one point, Green, you're right. Green was in the contest and then literally pulled out of it, and he wins a free kick because of that. I don't. That doesn't sit right with me. How does it sit with you guys? To be honest, I was just waiting for them to go to the score review to just to confirm that it was a deliberate behind rush behind, uh, and it, it should be a, a free kick. Like, it's actually a joke. No, I'm, no, I'm just no, no, you're, they taking should, the mickey they out of the whole situation. <laughs> I was just waiting for them to go up to the score review. Honestly, there's another new rule. <laughs> like, it, it's just become a joke, hasn't it? The, all these deliberate calls that, in particular, look, I know it happens in other games as well, but for some reason in Richmond games, it's just happening on a consistent basis. There's always a deliberate call made against us, and it's like. The umpire is seeing what we're seeing. Like, there's been plenty of times. I reckon there was about 17 minutes to go, and again, another situation where there was a hand pass under pressure, a Richmond player within the vicinity of the ball, and it was a deliberate call. And the umpire literally was like smiling as though he's doing it just to piss Richmond off, Richmond supporters <laughs> off. I'm sorry to use that expression, but I'm not at the same time. Like, it, it's seriously like the crowd is influencing the umpire's decision more so than it ever has. This. For me, this has wider ramifications than just 
the that actual incident or, or incidents like in oh, the yeah, past. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the implications for me are is that we have a group of 700 players in the league who are totally confused about what they can and can't do. We saw it. We saw the same situation in Carlton North Melbourne. Yep. The next day, where I can't remember who the two players were, but the Carlton player on the line, confused about whether he could put the ball through or not, handballs the ball in, goes straight to a North Melbourne bloke, kicks a goal. Yep. And yes. he, and even within the same game, Andy McGrath's on the goal line. He's genuinely surrounded by yep. about fifteen players. He he's entitled to rush it under the rule, uh, but he decided to throw the handball out, which actually led to Dusty Martin kicking a goal for us. Snapped it over his shoulder and uh, gave us a little bit of breathing space. And and again, that's that's just typical of the players not actually knowing what they can and can't do. And that's Correct. why it needs to be there needs to, something needs to be done now one way or the other. This is this is and I speak about conspiracies in our past podcasts. I mean, we we could have the Tony Shabeki conspiracy files on this show because I think there's one everywhere. <laughs> Have a look at the amount of forwards that are on the rules of the game. Well, Jack Rewalt Rewalt is on the laws of the game committee. Ever since we go exactly ever since we go back to Kevin Bartlett being on there as well. Okay, what we've got is a situation of people not knowing what it's like to be a defender. Yeah, yeah. They took the hands and the back out. They took the chopping of the arms out. Now they've taken the deliberate point out. They've also brought in a real stringent. Uh, deliberate out of bounds so you can't kick a ball defensively you can't kick a ball out of defence and pray to God that it stays in if you kick the ball and it goes out whether you had any intention or not it will be deemed as being deliberate yep. if you kick the ball out of defence in a pressure situation and there's no one there it'll be deemed as no one has thought of the implications on defenders in this game and just how hard it is to be one nowadays I mean it's just Really tough. The AFL wants higher scoring, right, and, now, and, now and the, the ball to be kept in play, and that's and I suppose this is oh, part no, of the well, consequence of that. And I'm glad you brought that up. The AFL wants the ball to be kept in play and the ball to be kept moving. Okay, a player deliberately puts it through for a point, so he gives away one point, which could be crucial in in the scheme of things towards the end, depending on it's the, crucial for the situation. Supporters <laughs> in the last few weeks, for sure. sure. <laughs> but they penalise him because he's stopping the play. In the process of doing that, they're giving away a free kick, which lasts for 30 seconds by the time they explain what had happened and all that sort of stuff, yeah. which slows down the play even more. And the penalty should be enough that you are giving away a score. Time stops. You're not wasting time. You lose maybe three or four seconds in the process before the ball is re-kicked in. What should happen, though, what I believe should happen, is that if you deliberately force a behind through, the kick in from full back must go over a certain distance. So you've got to clear the so 50 it or ma- you, you, Well, you've got to clear a 30-metre mark. You can't then go short to a shorter option who then goes short across the ground to another short option. The ball must go back into play. To get it, it back it, out. So that way it gives both teams a fair contest to restart play. Yep. Tony, uh, KB floated before... Uh, this morning on Hungry for Sport, that he thinks that it should bounce, just be yeah. a bounce, just just ball it up at the fifteen uh, at the top of the goal square, which would be rather than you know costing a goal. That, yeah. and take try and take that sort of grey area of. I think the the thing that hurts everyone with these decisions so much is the magnitude of the penalty. It cost us a goal. Mm. If it's a case of okay, the ball goes and uh, it, it's just balled up at the top of the square, and you've got a fifty fifty over that. Or in your case, we have to clear X amount of space to be able to make a contest of it. Does that sort of bring everyone a little bit more into line with the damage that's potentially caused by such a decision? Decision, particularly if it's a wrong one. I mean, I know umpires make you know they're not, they're human. They make so they are going to make some errors, but it's such a 
because it's because of the nature of the where it is right on the goal line, it is never not going to cost you a goal. No, um, I, I wonder whether that's probably more of a, a fair penalty because I actually think of the behind itself is a penalty. Like you are costing well, is, yourself of a course point. It is. Of course it is. And given the way the way we've been going the last few weeks, that every behind is crucial. Um, so what they're saying is, and this is this is the unfortunate thing. You you're in a, a, a really tight situation. You're, you're three point. You're two points up. Okay. There's 40 seconds to go. A bloke has a shot from 55 out on the run for the opposition team. The ball doesn't make the distance. Okay. So that's that's not your fault. That's his fault that he can't kick the distance. It bounces on the top of the square. You quickly. run in. It starts yeah. to roll. You run in and punch it through. But there's no one else around you. You're giving away a point. There's still one point in the game. But no, they'll take the ball back off you and give the other team a goal. Yeah. For what? Because you're being cautious about saving your team defeat. Why should you be penalised for saving your team a loss? Uh, it's got me so... But the contentious point is, is that if we start going with what KB suggested and what I've suggested, how do you determine what was deliberate and what wasn't? I mean, if a player in a contest, in, there's a pack mark and a player punches it through... Can an um, and it goes back to what we spoke about three or four weeks ago as well. Grey rules in laws. Yeah. You can't have them. It's got to be black. It's got to be white. You cannot have the interpretation of a rule up to an umpire who's in a precious situation of the game, who has been running 17 to 20 kilometres, and then he's got to make a crucial decision at some point in the game. It's not wrong. Give him a rule book that says if you do this, this is what happens. If you don't do this, this is what happens. End of story. You talk about the grey area there, Tony, and the, the grey area is around what is sufficient pressure. As the rule stands, they've brought in this new nine-metre rule that supposedly says that if uh, if you're within that nine-metre line, which doesn't is, which isn't actually on the ground, okay, but so, the, once the, exactly, the, so, so we're guessing, the we're guessing where the line is. Uh, if you're within that line and under sufficient pressure, you may rush the behind. Now, my coming back to the, the specific decision on the weekend, I felt that if you, if the player is on your hammer and you're both in the goal square. That would, to me, would be sufficient pressure. I, the, the AFL says no, that's not the case. Um, I, where I thought that was different to the Mills one was because when Mills punched it through, he was in the goal square and, and uh, Pickin, who was behind him, was probably th- was outside that nine metre square. So from that was outside of the goal square. So for me, I'm going okay. You're outside of ten metres, therefore that you're outside of that line. This one, they were both in the goal square, which for me puts them both in that nine metre zone. So again, Correct. we're saying that's still not sufficient pressure. Um, and that's why that's why I think a lot of Richmond supporters were up in arms. To be honest, I would just hate to see this become the norm in football. Like, we just have to expect a deliberate decision to be a poor one. I would like to see the AFL come out and address it and say, yep, look, we've made a mistake here. We need to work on this, and we need to sort of have a chat to the umpires, the umpire bosses, to work on ways where... Uh, you know, it it is a fair decision. Like I know that there's, we're always going to be critical of umpires' decisions, but you know, when you see an umpire smirk at the fact that he's paying a deliberate out of bounds or a deliberate, you know, it could have just been wind. Well, it it could have been, but what what I'm saying is like the, we 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 just need to see the AFL acknowledge the fact that this this is a problem and that they need to fix it. So I've always waited. I've always been waiting for a case. And because we're so stringent on our rules, if you were awarded a 50-metre penalty, and the and say in a grand final, final kick of the game, you receive a 50-metre penalty from the centre of the ground, siren goes, okay, you get a 50-metre penalty. The umpire only pays it, and it feels like, and it looks like it's short. 
So you kick from a further distance out than what you should have and you don't make the distance. I wonder if a club could ever take the AFL to court because we have the availability now to mark GPS 50 metres tracking, with yeah. GPS tracking on the, on the ground and say, hang on, he only paid at 46. I wonder if a club could actually take it to court and have the result overturned and have the last and have the extra four metres paid and have the kick again. Oh. We're getting to, and I know it'll never happen, and I know I'm talking, to, talking total hypothetical, but we, because we are so stringent and so, or and also so lax on our rules, because we don't have markings on the ground that mark out 50 metres for a penalty, we're relying on an umpire once again to take 50 steps to determine that that's 50 metres. It's uh, if it ever does happen, I can guarantee it'll happen to Richmond. That's what. <laughs> that's what'll happen. True. <laughs> it'll happen true. to us. So let's just... give the umpires the tools to do their job properly. Yep. If let, let's put a mark every five meters on the ground, it only has to be a dot. You don't even notice it. But at least so the umpires can see. Rightio, it started from here. Let's go back ten dots, and that's the fifty meters. Let's give them the tools to do the job properly. Otherwise, every week there's going to be a decision that's going to be a contentious point and it's making the game look stupid. For the next three or four days from today, we're not going to be talking about how great some of these games were on the weekend, how great Hawthorne and Sydney was, how great Richmond Essendon was, how great North Melbourne Carlton was right until the last few seconds where North Melbourne got away with the end, but Carlton's comeback. We're not going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about stupid bloody umpire decisions that are going to hijack the the talk of the game. AFL, you need to stop it. Well, it'll be interesting to see how they handle this week, but I uh, I, I get the feeling they're going to stick steadfast by it. And just, of course just, they will. Which, have, uh, which, is, which is disappointing, but that's such is the case. Uh, bring us back to Saturday night, because that, that's the disappointing thing, is we're talking about this, and it's a great discussion, but yeah. but it's taking away from what was a really good win on Saturday. Correct. On Saturday night, in front of a, a record crowd for a Saturday night home and away game, 85,000 odd. It was one short of what they got at Anzac Day for, for uh, Essendon Collingwood. So well done, Tiger Army, and well done the Essendon fans who got out there and supported us as well. That's disappointing also to an extent that... Uh, at some point, I thought they said there was only 8,000 tickets left. I think it was on the Thursday. So the members haven't turned up. They were sold. It was as of 6 o'clock that night, you could not walk up and buy a ticket. Mm. You, so it was it was literally club members uh, with, you know, pre-purchased, if you got, if you reserved your, your seat, or, you know, MCC members. So, yeah, you're right. The MCC members and, and, and AFL members, yeah. And unfortunately, we had a massive car catch on a car fire on the uh, southeastern, uh, yeah. which meant a lot of people got there really late as well. Yeah. And uh, and I think you know personally I know for a lot of people they would have been going oh Saturday night it's on the telly it's gonna be it's gonna rain and the rain did kick in but not till the last quarter in the in the last sort of twenty minutes or so but um, well so well done to everyone who got out there and brave yep. brave the conditions I want to give a cup, bit of praise to a couple of people first of all uh, I want to give some praise to Camden McIntosh. Uh, and the reason for that is early in the game, Dylan Grimes was playing on Orazio Fantasia, as, as Brian Taylor would say, Orazio Fantasia. And he was getting towed up. Don't get me started. <laughs> Fantasia, was, Fantasia was in everything. He kicked a goal. He set another one up. He was running Grimes off his feet. Had so much pace for him. And Grimes, Grimes is an interesting player because he can play tall. He can play short. He, so he's got decent skills. He's not really all that quick, though. Um, and Fantasia was, uh, was 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 running him around like a like a headless chook. And then they made the switch and they put Camden McIntosh onto him. Camden McIntosh also has the ability to play tall. He's not his skills aren't as good, but he he's got the leg speed to go with him. He's really good running down the wing. And he took Fantasia completely out of the game. Um, the other player who did a bit of a shutdown role was Kane Lambert. 
he shut down Zach Merritt, who was negligible, really, in mm-hmm. the in the things. And he's been one of their key reasons why Essendon's been so good this year. So to those two guys, who I know are you know much maligned at, at times, that they're not, you know, are they? Is this team capable of actually doing anything? Um, you know, these guys, they're sort of borderline fringe players. Sometimes they're in. I know McIntosh has uh, had a pretty good run, but you know, Kane Lambert's been in and out for a while. But he's uh, the, the, kudos to them because they they had really good roles, and that leads me into the guy who I think really deserves some praise from the weekend. That's Brandon Ellis. Mm. Um, yeah. Brandon Ellis. Where is he playing at the moment? He's playing across half back, and that's why. And I thought, that's see, the, I thought yeah. he was playing more higher up towards a wing, dropping back to a half. Yeah, back. I, I yeah. think he's rotating he's from right, a half okay. back and, to and, a wing. And the yeah. reason for that is because with Nick Vloston out of the team. Nick, the, Nick Vloston this year was meant to be spending more time in the midfield and they would rotate the, the, the two of them because yeah. he's a bigger body, he's physical, he's got leadership uh, written all over him, Nick Vloston. Um, and therefore, Brandon Ellis wasn't really hurting teams with his because he's got good skills, but he's yeah. not really an inside player. He was getting easy kicks all, along the wing and but wasn't doing enough with it. So they, they've sort of rotated him back and he occasionally goes through the midfield um, where he can be more damaging because he can get get clear and set up the play moving forward. And that's been a big reason why we're having a lot more success with that transition from out, from uh, from defence to forward. Um, he played his best game for the year. Played his, played his best game for probably three years, I reckon, on the weekend. Mm. Um, kicked a crucial goal when he when he did push forward. Uh, took a couple of crucial marks um, and showed a lot more composure than he than he has done in recent times. And I, I he so a lot of people were talking after the game that he should have been in contention to win the medal or the, the Yukon Award, I should say, the boomerang. Um, I th- I didn't have him best on ground, but I certainly had him in you know part of the discussion. And I and I think for someone who at the start of the year, David King, for example, saying it's make or break time for Brandon Ellis, and even I think I floated that he should have potentially been in line to be dropped and maybe go back to the VFL because he's not hard enough at it. He's he's well and truly lifted. So to Brandon Ellis, I personally say, and uh, I'm sure a lot of Richmond supporters out there are saying this as well. Well done. Keep it up. We're really enjoying what we're seeing. He's become a part of what I think is nearly one of the best defences in the league at the moment, Richmond. Well, it, I think we're right up there in top five for sure. We were unt- uh, up until the, our loss, the, the, going into the Essendon, the loss streak, going against, against Adelaide, we were the best defence. That game was touted as the best defence in terms of points uh, conceded. Uh, against the best attack because Adelaide. So the Adelaide game killed yeah, us. Yeah, Adelaide yeah. game killed us. And but aside from that, we have been reasonably okay. Low. So we're probably still top two or top three, maybe. I'll get Ch- I'll get Luffy onto that from Champion Data and Chickas. We'll, and we'll the reason I say that because have a look at the players that are there and the players that are actually performing in defence, led by Alex Rance, who undoubtedly is the the 2010 version of David Burke. He he was. Um, Do we remember David Burke? David Burke, Francis Burke's son. Yeah, the, who was a fantastic defender. But got injured every second week because he threw himself into the contest yeah. and would come out with a broken arm, a broken neck, a broken head, a broken back, broken leg, whatever it might have been. Could have been an amazingly good player. Could have been Alex Rancish, except for the fact he kept on getting injured. He ended up at North Melbourne, didn't he? He did at the end of it. You're right. He yeah. certainly did. He left Richmond because he, they were sick of the medical bills. Yeah. And, so I, think, off to and I think part of that with David Burt was... I I remember calling him the weed because he was quite yeah he was he was, he was very he was very small and he just never really quite, and that's probably part of why he had got was so injury prone because he just never quite put the kilos on but he could have been anything David correct Burke. Alex Rance yes Camden McIntosh getting yep. back there as well uh, Brandon Ellis as you mentioned yep. also Basha Hawley does a, a solid job every week still I uh, still regret some of the turnovers that he makes at times. He had a bad year last year. He went from yeah. being our most skillful player who you would back in on his left foot coming out of defensive 50 every week to going, oh, he's a liability. But no, yeah. he's turned it around this year. I love Basher. 
know him personally, love him. Yep. I, I just have a look at his game, and nearly every second, probably every third position he takes, ends up in the opposition getting the ball. But is that game plan related? Because well, we're having be, a dip. Because we just yeah, it, it could be. It could be. Uh, throw in there Nick Vlosson when he comes back, yep. and throw in there. Uh, there's a name you miss. Dylan Grimes. Yeah, yeah. There's a very important name yeah. who I think you're missing I, I think at the it, moment. Yeah. And that's David Aspie. Exactly. David Aspie, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, well, we mentioned him last week. He's yeah. been huge, and, and yeah. he's he's a big reason why Alex Rance is doing so well because Alex Rance isn't necessarily playing one on one. Correct. He's um, freer. With, he's freer. Yeah. Asprey takes the best defender. So, uh, uh, Asprey takes the best forward, which allows Rance to kind of play this the, the, the wicket keeper role where he just runs across. Uh, defensive fifty when when the ball's forward gatekeep so to speak and uh, and he drops back into the holes when he needs to there's that many turnovers that result in Alex Rance taking a solid mark and getting the ball moving on and his foot skills have improved dramatically as well mm. Rance I actually when he you know two three years ago you just wanted to have, make sure you had a runner running past him you give the little handball off to and, and explode forward now yep. you trust him kicking forward and I th- and that's and you trust As- you, you trust David Asprey to drop into the hole I know. And yeah, it. yeah. It, it's 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 a remarkable. Um, position to be in. I think we haven't really sort of thought this about our defensive skills for a while. For a while. Correct. Um, you know, even like Troy Chaplin in the years where he was in the team, he was kind of that general marshal who never took a man, but just sort of dropped back, had, was the mature head, slow it down, slow it down. Um, but then you didn't trust how he'd get rid of the ball. And he's obviously uh, imparted a fair bit of that uh, mental ability onto, onto the likes of David Asprey. So the great thing that's happened here is because we now have this solid six, this solid seven in defence with our wingers in Alice running through as well, we don't need the likes of Kotcher. We don't need the likes of Martin to get back deep inside 50 to help out and then have to work hard to get back to the midfield or up forward to then move. So so our players are getting a little, our midfielders especially, even Jack Revolt isn't going down as far no. as what he used to in the last few years. Jack will make it down to the wing now, but it was, it was not unusual to see Jack on a half-back flank inside defensive 50 taking a mark to help clear. And you're, you're dead right, and part of that was because... We had a guy named Tyrone Vickery in the side, and I want to talk about that again in a moment, but Tyrone Vickery couldn't play that mobile no. centre-half forward who could come up. No, to, he, and he, he just never got a haircut. No. <laughs> You're right. He actually did move on two weeks ago when yeah. he had the haircut. Yeah. <laughs> and then, well, he set up Jared Ruffhead on he the weekend. I don't, know, I don't like talking about the Hawks, but... You know he, that was a beautiful kick, well done, Ty, for that. But because of that inability to play that sort of mo- more mobile role, Jack had to do that, which meant Jack was coming up to a half back flank. Yeah. Um, and he's then trying to kick it long to Tyrone Vickery, who unfortunately just couldn't take couldn't, a mark. Couldn't couldn't take a so, mark. As a result, he doesn't have to go that far yeah. now. So it means he can stay inside the wing area and and then push back when the ball starts coming down. And we have a solid target. And he is a very hard worker running both ways, Jack. And he's left foot. There are, I know everyone talks about Sam Mitchell on both feet. Jack Rewald is the best forward on both feet going around in the game. Mm. He yeah, is, yeah. yeah. He's left foot. He can spot up someone fifty sure. meter, fifty meters away on the run and hit him dead on the chest. Uh, he doesn't get enough credit for that. So why didn't he use his other foot when he knew his he pat- good foot was bad on the <laughs> way? He perhaps should have. <laughs> Two goals, three from Jack. Couple of shanks. <laughs> Um, he'll, oh, he'll look. I'll, I'll back him in to improve himself. It's uh, he 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 won't be happy about that. He's a very proud man, Jack, and yeah. he'll uh, he'll be wanting to push that. That brings me to we've just spoken about how good our defensive setup is at the moment, but where we where we did go wrong on the weekend and where we have gone wrong is is probably that forward structure of yes. turning it of yep. turning inside fifties and that forward pressure which is through the roof at the moment into scores that are going to win games. 
And, you know, I think I mentioned Ty Vickery before. I'm actually kind of missing him at the moment. And I know that's a bit hard to say. I'm getting looks around the studio at the moment. And the reason for that is because we don't have a genuine centre-half forward in that team anymore at the moment. And, you know, Ben Griffiths was, was meant to be that person. And our circumstances have said he's he's yeah. having a spell. And we can't control that. That is what it is. To borrow the cliche, we'll take it one week at a time. Um, Todd Elton isn't that player. You know, he came in again and... I know you think he, I'm a fanboy of his. I just think he was. He, he's. A, I look at him and just go, he's our only option. Um, and he kicked the. He, you texted me, Carl, because he took a mark and kicked the goal. And you said, <laughs> did did Todd Mar- did Todd Elton actually take a mark and kick a goal? You didn't believe it. I was I in said, disbelief. Yeah. I couldn't I, believe it. I said yes, it did actually happen. But it was almost like when Sean Hampson marked it on the fifty against Sydney a few years back. Um and. I was with my dad at the game. I'm like, nah, there's no way known he's going to kick this. He kicked it dead-eye dick straight yep. through the middle. I, I couldn't believe it. Elton takes a mark and kicks a goal. You know, there's another name that I forgot out of that defensive structure that has got back and helped a lot and could be our answer at centre-half forward if they were brave enough to keep him there. Who's that? Could be Sean Grigg. Yeah, sure. Sean can play yeah. tall. He's... I'm I'm liking what he's doing enough through the midfield at yeah, the moment. Yeah, no, though. but but he's it's, we've sort of rotated that small centre half forward. Where I mean, you pick up the team sheet every week and you see you know Shane Edwards is named at centre half forward, and you yeah. go like it's, I know that's not how they Please. structurally set up. Where the, where the issue is is that connect of the ball comes into uh, our forward fifty and it stays there. That we I think we conceded something like fifty seven turnovers in our forward 50 and the ball spits back out and goes back up the other end. The issue is having that tall player who who can take a good defender. And we're not talking about a, we're not talking about a Wayne Carey or no, I just, we're just, not talking about someone who, uh, Stephen Curnahan where the ball's just going to clunk and stick. Just if you just someone who can take a defender and can play that sort of role running between uh forward 50 and the wing mm. and and being that lead up forward so that to to make that connection there because we're running it through there beautifully. Um it's just that when 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 we when we do rebound, we're looking to Jack, and if there's not Jack there, it's sort of like, well, where's the ball coming? Yeah. Ball comes to ground. Our 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 sort of mosquito fleet have have dropped off somewhat in terms of their a their uh, their pressure's all right, but their ability to hit the scoreboard. It's also, gone. there's been a fair bit of rotation through that mosquito fleet in and out of the team as yeah, well. There hasn't but, really but been the, a settled three or four of them. For the first month, it was it was Butler, Rioli, and Castagna, and yeah. then Butler got injured, and they brought Bolton in. And, and Bolton's been uh, Bolton showed a couple of couple of moments on the weekend. He did a little cheap ha- little handball yeah. over the top of his head on the boundary line, which I thought, okay, if, if he's capable of that. But he did sort of drift out of the game. In and the now Titch Edwards comes back into that yeah. role as well. And he and he had his best game of the season. Yeah. You know, wearing the which was going to always happen. He needed a couple of weeks under his belt. Yeah, um, and Rioli, you know, Rioli sort of drifted in and out of games a little bit as well. Um, Castagna, I know, Carl, you've sort of thought it's, t- it's time to go back. I think last weekend was the prime example of it is time to go back I to the I think he missed an important towards the end of yeah. the year, last quarter. Yeah, yeah set shot. Set shot. Yeah. Um, I, 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 just on that, I think if Butler's good to come back, he comes in, Castagna goes out. Yeah. Lloyd stays. I think Lloyd's still doing enough. I mean, I, I still love Sam Lloyd, but I think he's still got a I, point to make. Yep. I think... Just, just while we were digressing on this, the other change that might potentially come back in is Vloston is listed as he could return this week or no, after the buy. You I think? Th- you I think, you think he'll think come after the buy. After yeah. the buy, because if he comes back in, then you go, all right. Well, who's who's out? Who's up for uh, for going out? And the name I had down here was probably someone like Corner Manager, who actually who's yeah. who's shown a little bit. He's he's the meekest looking bloke 
with an uh, with a forearm tattoo kind of energy. <laughs> yeah. I like if it's it's sort of like seeing the, the the math student geek at high school and he rocks up with a tattoo that he got to try and show that he oh, I'm one of the you know I'm one of the cool guys. But, but he's, but he's twenty three cool. to twenty eight on the list. Yeah, exactly. He's going to be it, one of those guys that's going to come in and out as you need them. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Cu- coming back to where I'm, I'm going at with here is we need to make a concerted recruiting drive for that centre half forward type role and you know I would have thought that um, you know play, you know I know Josh Jackie's name's been thrown up a name that actually got thrown up on the weekend actually by the Gladiators of Sport on Saturday night was Jack Gunston if uh, if Hawthorne is wanting to trade to get back into that first round of the draft because they need they need draft picks. You know, do they go and do they shop out someone like Jack Gunston who's in that sort of age bracket of what we want? You know what, Jack Gunston alongside Jack Rewalt wouldn't be such a bad thing. No, Gunston Gunston plays his what best. What is he? Twenty eight. Uh, I don't think he's even. I think he might be about twenty six. But he's, he's, you know, he's but, been but, for a while. he struggled last year because he was um, he was having to play that that number one tall four because Roughhead was out of the side. Yeah. When when he's not the, the number one man, he plays a lot better because he takes a he's not he was born in ninety one. So he is twenty six. Twenty six. Twenty six this year. Um so you know he's someone that you know he might be on the radar. Paddy McCartan's name's been thrown up by K B. She was he's uh, and I know we're a Richmond podcast, but I feel sorry for that kid. Paddy McCartan. I really do. So yeah. much pressure on him as the number one draft pick. Yep. And now he's in a position where he second guesses everything that he goes and does, and doesn't believe that he's got. He, he he's he he's in a situation now where he has to do everything right, otherwise he feels he's going to get dropped again, and that must be a really tough position for a player to be in. And that's why you know maybe a change of pasture. Yeah. Come to Richmond, we'll back you in, mate. We'll give you a game every week. We'll play you twenty-two. But games. you're not going to yeah. you're not going to get rid of a number one draft pick three years. No, later, I don't. Right? No. I think I think if at the moment St Kilda have looked, they're, they're, they're going to play him for a while and yeah. see what he can do. And Josh Bruce is the one who's pushed out again. So maybe that's where we probably need to get smart with our list management. Is just start looking at some of these clubs who've got maybe. No chance One of Jeremy Cameron. Oh, we'd like him, wouldn't he? He'd be decent. John Patton would have been. John Patton yeah, was yeah, out of contract. Yeah. Um, and you know he was. He's a he's a Victorian boy. Out from. Do you just need a tall, solid body who can take a contested mark and kick a goal from fifty. Well, I wasn't. That's ad- what you need. I wasn't adverse to us going after Travis Cloak because yeah. I thought if mm. Travis Cloak. The role isn't to be kicking. Well, you want to, you want some scoreboard pressure, but the role isn't. We want you to be coming in and kicking four goals a week. The role is coming. We want you taking a defender and just helping to to set us up structurally. And you know what? If you if you if basically run from from uh, thirty meters out to the wing and back, and just keep 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 leading up, keep leading up and leading back, keep leading yeah. up, leading back. And I thought that's you know, cloak. Kicking from eighty meters out, where he's not having a shot at goal, isn't that bad a player? Well, well surely there's got to be a good, solid centre half forward out there in a local footy league or something that we could just pick up mm. on a rookie list and throw him in it. Well, we don't want to go Brendan, back, Brendan Favola. I <laughs> know oh, he's been talking about maybe making a comeback. Well, we we don't want to go back to recruiting a lot of mature age recruits though, because I I, I find that. In the past few years, you know, we got players like Mark on, and you know, after a season, he was delisted. Even though he, I think he won the VFL Best and Fairest yeah, yeah. last year, and now he's back playing VFL football. So it's one thing to go and look for a mature age recruit from the hasn't VFL. Really worked for us, hasn't Not really. No. No. We, we've now backed ourselves in. Where I mean, and it's shown this year we are backing the kids in. Yeah. So I think if we're going to bring someone in, they either have to be a genuine star. Or they have to be someone who's who who fits that sort of mould of being, you know, and that's where Josh Shackey probably is the, yep. the logical one. Um, he's only twenty. Yeah, you're probably going to have to give up a first round pick for him because 
of the potential worth. The knock on him is he's lazy, but he's got 12, 13 years of football ahead of yeah. him. Well, you make the point there about investing more so in our younger kids and you know making sure that they get up to scratch to be considered for our best 22. I think that's something that we haven't done in the past that we're starting to do now. Um, I think it's also something that Neil Barr might be sort of having an influence on to make sure you are investing in your youth a little bit more. And a, a, a prime example of a player that I think has sort of been let down a little bit by the club is Ben Lennon because I don't think he's been given the opportunities that he probably should have been over the years because he was highly rated as a player when he first came to the club as a, as a great youngster. I think, did he go in the top 30? Yeah, he was, he, he was, he was, yeah. He was, our, he was a first rounder. He was a first rounder for us, and I, I, I still think that he was never really given that opportunity that he should have been given. And if ever he was going to get that opportunity, last year was the year. Yeah. and You're not going to give him an opportunity now with the, the possibility of, if you're unsure about him, with the possibility of you know Richmond being in finals, you're not going to throw him in for a solid three, four, or five games, not knowing how that's going to turn out. Mm. Well, he's he's been in the VFL. His VFL form has been good without being great. He's you know he kicks one or two, uh, but he's not banging the door down in in you know in Australian cricket you selection. You remember terms. though the, the effect that not playing in the in the AFL team has on a player yeah. in regards to that. He's just he's possibly in, and this is where once I know we we sometimes go off and digress about things that aren't Richmond, but this is where a mid-season draft, a mid-year draft, is the perfect thing. Yeah, because you've got a kid here who probably knows he's not going to get a game in the AFL team again this year, so he's just going through the motions. And he's been, I think he's going through the motions from the start of the I mean, he put his hand up last year and said, oh, I want to be traded. Yeah, exactly. I want to be, couldn't, yeah. couldn't, no one wanted him. Yeah. So, he, yeah. so he stayed and said, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll see it and out. Then and I think just on that, a couple of uh, players did leave the club that might have had an impact on how he was feeling at Richmond. I'm, I'm not saying that that's definite, but okay. I think a couple of the, well, I suppose you would say more senior players at the club that have departed, obviously. Brett Deledio. Brett Deledio yeah. and Tyrone Vickery might have been impacting his decision a tad. I'm not saying for sure that that's the case, but I think it might have had something to do well, with it. Well, if he's... Yeah, I suppose... Yeah, it's... it's Now's not the time to be then throwing him a lifeline for the sake of throwing the kid no, a no, lifeline. No, no, no. I'm not saying you have to. I think I think it's a case of structurally if uh, if the position... Like, if if Sam Lloyd, for example, gets injured, he's that sort of mid-size forward. That's probably where you... That's probably where you go, all right, we, have to, we need to pick one. I'll give you an example in. of another player who played against us in Dreamtime, Matty Day. He like, was great. He, he, again, won the VFL best and fairest uh, a couple couple of years back, and then got picked up as a top up player. And, top up player, and he's and playing they've kept again. Him. Yeah, have kept him. You know, yeah, lost opportunities for for players that were decent players that just didn't get the right opportunity at Richmond. Yeah, exactly. Now, can we go forward to North Melbourne then this week? Yes. Just, just I just want to tick off tick off one more thing yep. before we do. Uh, the Yukon Award on the weekend went to Dustin Martin as the best player on the ground. Do we think Dustin Martin was the best player on the ground? Gave us a spark when we needed one by kicking that goal around his body. Big names always tend to be, win the awards, don't yeah, they? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. If you if you go through the history of Anzac medals and all that sort of stuff, it always seems to be a big name player who had a good game and a couple they, of, a couple but of you moments. Actually no, you actually notice them more than the the players who have had a very good game, yep. but they're not a high profile player. Yeah. I thought he was in the. I'd, I'd, I'd have had him in the voting. My my personal opinion was I thought Trent Cotchin 
He was good. Uh, I, thought, good. I thought he was outstanding. How about his don't argue? The don't argue yeah, on Waller. Was he's Martin. just bowling. Well, maybe they the, thought it was Martin. Yeah, yeah. borrowed from the dusty. And that was at a crucial point in the game as well. I mean, if, he, if that tackle sticks, uh, yeah, he's, true, li- yeah. he's lining up from 50 out, probably looking to put it to, on Danaher's chest or the like. And the game, it's you know starting to slip out of our hands again. Cochin fends off. Sets up the transition onto the other side of the play, and that ended up leading to that passage of play where True. Nankervis ends up kicking the the goal after it spat in and spat out a couple of times with the goal kick with the poor goal kicking. Um, so Trent Koch and Ida had him in there. Ida had Dusty in the votes. I thought Alex Rance and Brandon Ellis would have then fought it out for the for the other position of it because I actually thought you know Alex Rance playing that role across half. Joe Danaher had to go to half back to get a kick. And that's that, that. I know that that's Rance wasn't playing on him one on one per se, but just that's the that's what Rance does to teams. Yeah, he he may he, they have to change the way they do things just to be able to get you know hands on the pill. So to those guys, I uh, you know I, I, that's how I would have voted. Any changes in dispute cool. there? No, definitely those four in the top. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that brings us to uh, this Saturday night, North Melbourne, Eddie Had Stadium. Our uh, our recent record at Eddie Had, we've lost our last three. Our last win at Eddie Had, funnily enough, was the junk game, which was round 23, 2015, oh. where, they, where North rested half their players. Don't remind me. And then uh, the following week, they, of course, came out and uh, gave us a nightmare. And we, I think it was, what was the, the magic number? 37. That's our last win, 2015 at Eddie Had. We only played there twice last year. Yeah. And, we, lost, yeah, and okay. we, we played Adelaide there and lost. And we played... St Kilda, was it? Was, no, no, I'm trying to... Actually, it might have been St Kilda. It wasn't North Melbourne again, was it? No. No, no, no. We, play, we played North at the G and got done there. It might have been the Saints. So it might have been the Bulldogs. It, it, ah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, it was. Yeah, was. Yeah. And, a narrow one, like yeah, a 10-pointer yeah, or something. And then, we, yeah. and, and then we lost to the Dogs this year in, uh, in, round, five, in round six. So, North Melbourne, they're hard to get a read on. Uh, you know, if you were going in at the start of the year... year you know, after four rounds, you would have said, "Oh, look, we, yeah, it's a game we should be winning now because North Melbourne on the decline." But they just seem to bob up, and um, you know, got to give them more credit, I think, than what we probably all thought they'd be at the start of the year. From what I've seen of North Melbourne over the last few weeks, they seem to be struggling with their forward structure as well. So that can be a real opportunity for our our strong defence to take control of that. And if we can sort out that forward situation that you've been that we've been talking about for the last five minutes and get someone to be a solid target to Jack, I think we can probably kick more goals than North and possibly win the game. I think um, North have always presented a challenge for us structurally defensively because they've always had... They always, Petrie, I mean, Harvey. Yeah, Petrie, Petrie, Harvey plays the, would play the small role. You had Petrie, Ben Brown, and Jared Wake. Jared Wake yeah. is the stuff of nightmares for Richmond supporters. Uh, yeah, but you, see, two- but you, go, you go into that contest now confident yeah. that Asprey picks up probably Wake. Or maybe Asprey goes on Brown and Rance does wait. Yeah. And you, you know that those two guys are going to confidently compete. And that's why when we go back to that, we go back to that 2015 elimination final where Wake kicked four and towed us up. The way we set up that day is they went, the, they, they had, uh, they had uh, Petrie, Rance went to Petrie, um, Asprey didn't play. Asprey was was in the stands. I was sitting next to him and Sam Lloyd, who both didn't play. And we all was like, why aren't they out there? Um, Troy Chaplin went to Ben Brown, which meant Jake Batchelor went to Jared Waite. And Jared Waite ran riot. See, that's where Rand should have been on him. Yeah, they should have been because 
Petrie wasn't doing any damage. Rance was pushing no. up the ground and, and Petrie Silly. had to go with him. So it'll, it, even yesterday I saw with North Melbourne, they had Lockie Hansen was dropping forward from defence. So again, they're trying to exploit the, yeah. you know, the, the, the amount of tools they had there. At Eddie Had, you can do that because the conditions aren't going to be a factor. Um, and you know, Asprey's in great form. Dylan Grimes can probably play uh, on, on Ben Brown because Ben Brown likes to run up the ground a bit. He likes to lead out. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, whether we have to bring in an extra tool because of uh, Todd Goldstein. Does does Ivan Soldo come back in for Todd Elton and maybe they try and push Nankervis yeah, forward I, a little I bit? I think clubs have a reside to the fact now that there's a couple of really good tall big men and they're just running small ruckmen up against them and just getting their midfielders. I mean, I think it was a case yesterday... Was it, when did Melbourne play? Melbourne played Saturday Saturday afternoon. I think Melbourne, Melbourne had less knockouts, but had like double the amount of centre clearances. Yeah, because they, they, now, they now set up to rove, which, yeah, is, what we, which is what we were doing yeah. against Sandalins, yeah. where, where you know you can, you can see the ruck tap and just rove to their ruck. Correct. And Todd Goldstein is in that sort of form. Uh, he's been reasonably good. He did get beaten by Cruiser yesterday, and um, you know I sp- he can go forward as well, and I suppose that's the issue is... Whether we Nankervis Nankervis is that isn't a pure tap ruckman. He's more of that sort of Ivan Marich, you know, elbows out, just battle along all day. And but he, and he but he's a lot more mobile. Mm. So it's going to be an interesting one. I think we need to shut down Sean Higgins. He's been doing great things for them. Uh, he's having a, a standout year. I think Kane Lambert showed on the weekend. He's capable of doing that, um, having that run with role. But I'm I'm going to back in Dusty. I'm going to back in Koch and our boys. I think to get the job done. Uh, the, I just hope that Brad Scott uh, and Carl Delina, their CEO, aren't meeting with Dustin Martin in the car park after the match to perhaps show him a contract offer. That would be uh, nah, look. Let's let's not even talk about it because he's going to be at Richmond. He's going to be in yellow and black next year. I'm I'm telling you, he's going to be Sean, in yellow and black next Sean year. Sean Grigg rated him an eight, an eight out of ten to stay, which gives it, which gives some. But I'm, 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 I'm going as far as saying a nine out of ten. Yeah, I'm, I'm I reckon Richmond have given him the best possible offer that they can. And if he decides to take an offer elsewhere, he's silly. I think it's just all. It's a lot's going to depend on how the year plays out. Yeah. Well, if we keep doing what we're doing, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think exactly. he, I, I'm pretty he confident stays. that he'll stay. Yeah. Um, yep. So tips: North Melbourne by ten goals. <laughs> Carl, uh, I think we're going to win. I'm not going to say the margin, but I think we're going to win. Yeah, I don't. I think it'll be an arm wrestle, and I, but I, but I, I'm confident that we're. It'll be a good test to see how far we've come as a team and. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're in the mood of breaking hoodoos. Let's break our North Melbourne hoodoo and get over the top of them because they've always given us some grief. Doesn't really matter who's on the ladder. Yep. I think we'll get over the top. But uh, until next week, gentlemen, thank you for coming in. And thank you. And uh, we'll Go catch Tigers. you next week. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Go Tigers.